Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL underscore. That is No Huddle NFL again with no capitals and no spaces. So the last episode of the podcast, you may have noticed a slight difference in my mic. That was because I was recording from Florida and I did not bring all of my equipment with me. It was still a very good episode that I highly recommend you all checking out. I had at Miller football on TikTok on the podcast. Very great guest. He was very, very nice. And I hope to have him again on the show sometime soon. But I'm no longer in Florida. I'm now in the comfort of my own home. But because, you know, the trip back, the plane ride, and then it was also 4th of July weekend. It was difficult for me to try and get a guest on, so I do not have a guest for this episode in particular. Of course, next week I'm hoping to continue to have guests on because we're in a slow point in the offseason where, you know, it's kind of hard to get stuff to talk about, especially if I'm by myself. That's why this episode is going to be pretty short because, again, there's not much to talk about. There was one huge, huge thing that happened that I'm going to be talking about, but still, I'm not going to be talking about too much here. My plan is to get longer episodes out when I have other people with me, some guests on to record with. But also keep in mind, a lot of other sports podcasts aren't going on at all right now. So if you think it's bad, I'm only pumping out. Maybe this is going to be a 30-minute episode or something of the sort. I could very easily just not post anything like most other sports podcasts are doing at the moment, or at least football podcasts, because... Let's be honest, it's hard to make content at the moment because there isn't much to be talking about. But we're two minutes in. I think it's about time that I talk about what most of the people listening probably want me to be talking about. The Panthers got Baker Mayfield in exchange for a fifth-round pick. Not a surprise to me. I was expecting Baker to go to the Panthers. The Panthers need a quarterback. You know, Matt Rule on the hot seat. We'll talk about that from the Panthers' perspective later. First, I want to talk about it from the Browns' perspective. Now, obviously, Baker Mayfield wasn't going to be a Brown this year. Anyone who thought he would, kidding themselves. Kidding themselves. Now, I get it. Deshaun Watson isn't playing. So, maybe some optimistic Browns fans were hoping, oh, we'll just start Baker this year. That wasn't going to happen. Anyone that's been paying attention to the Browns and the entire Baker Mayfield situation understands that, well, first off, Baker is not a very mature, moral high ground type of person. I don't want to sound rude here. I'm just trying to be honest. He's not the type of player to be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to turn the other cheek. This team wronged me, but, you know, I'm still going to do what I can for the team because I'm just a great guy. Now, again, I'm not trying to knock Baker, but that's just the type of player he is. He will do what is best for him, and there's nothing wrong with it. The NFL is a business, and I kind of can't blame him if he doesn't want to play for a team that literally said that he's not enough of an adult to be the starting quarterback for their team. Now, I I can completely understand why he wouldn't want to play there. And even though Deshaun Watson most likely is going to be suspended and not playing this year, Baker is not going to be their starting quarterback, as you could tell by the fact that he just got traded, and that never seemed like it would be the case. Again, 
optimistic Browns fans were hoping that, but the reality is that was just never going to happen. What the Browns did to him, it would make no sense, or not necessarily no sense, but it would be very courageous of Baker to do this, to, you know, come out there and play for the team that literally said he's not good enough. That would be a very, you know, nice thing to do. But in terms of his pride, why would he do that? You know? Especially when he could just get traded like he did. He took a pay cut in order to get traded. So, good on him. And I wonder, would the Browns have had to cut him if he refused to take that pay cut? Like, let's really think about it. The fact they wouldn't want to play there. Why would he try and make that trade easier on him, right? Like, he knew he wasn't going to be a Brown during week one of even the preseason. He he wasn't going to be on the Cleveland Browns. Like, that was not an option for Cleveland because of the drama that would come with that. That was not an option. So, what would have happened if Baker just didn't take the pay cut? I still wonder. It's a question that will never be answered. But, first off, surprised he did take the pay cut. Second off, if he just didn't take the pay cut, Cleveland would probably cut him, and then it's whatever team Baker wants to go to. Because I think teams will look at him, every single team in the league, and be like, you know, he's a free agent. Uh, I want him. Every single team, even if it's as a backup. I think every team in the NFL would want him. Even the Chiefs. We have Chad Henney as our backup, you know. If Mahomes goes down, we probably won't be as good of a team as we want to be. We bring in Baker Mayfield. All of a sudden, we got a really, really nice backup quarterback. So I really think if he didn't take that pay cut, he could have ended up on whatever team he wanted to. Now, he probably wouldn't want to be a backup. But still, my point stands. It doesn't really make sense from Baker's perspective to take a pay cut for the team that openly slandered you in front of the media it doesn't really make sense that's what he did he did take a pay cut that's why i'm mentioning it you know it's a question that won't be answered but i would really like to know what made him feel a need to take that pay cut why do you care if the browns get a fifth round pick in exchange for you the browns just screwed you over why would you openly try and help them make a trade possible especially when you could choose out of any team in the league if you don't take that pay cut, you know? I don't understand it. I do not. But still, let's talk about where the Browns are now after that trade. So, a lot of people are saying, oh, this was an absolute steal for the Panthers. Absolute steal. They got a quarterback with a huge ceiling, and, you know, he's already a good starter, and I agree, he is already, he's a, starting caliber quarterback around the tier of Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill. That's a pretty nice deal. Getting him for a fifth-round pick that could be a fourth, that's a pretty good deal. But from Cleveland's perspective, considering how little leverage they had in the entire situation, I'm surprised they were able to get a conditional fifth, fourth-round pick. Like, you understand, a fourth-round pick... You could get a solid role player there. 
in fact, most of the time, teams get a solid role player in the fourth round. And then you even have a chance of getting like a Max Crosby, who was a former fourth round pick. Now he's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. Like a fourth round pick, the fans perspective on a fourth round pick compared to the GM's perspective on a fourth round pick completely different. GMC see all these picks as lottery tickets. Even a fourth rounder, fifth rounder. Now, I would say fifth rounder a lot of the time, and even me as a diehard fan of the NFL, I'll admit that's not really, that's not worth Baker. But getting a fourth for him, if that's what happens, I'll take that. With how little leverage I have, I will gladly take that because again Baker would have got cut if this trade didn't happen probably so the Browns had no leverage so still getting a fourth round or possible fourth round pick in exchange for him very nice deal what is the condition that makes it a fourth round pick though maybe it's almost impossible that that happens and it's basically just a fifth round pick Well, you're ready to hear the condition? If Baker plays 70% or more of the offensive snaps for the Panthers, it's a fourth-round pick. Now, barring any injury, that's what's happening. I'm telling you for a fact. Now, Carolina's making it sound like, oh, it's going to be a competition between Sam Darnold and Baker. No, it's not. No, it isn't. Listen, okay. The only reason that Sam Darnold had a starting spot last year was because of blind hope that he would live up to the potential that scouts saw in him going into the draft four years before that season started. You get my point? Listen, Sam Darnold is not, he is not a starting quarterback in the NFL and he never will be. I'm sorry that I didn't sugarcoat that enough, but that's just the situation. We gave him four years in the spotlight, didn't do crap. And, you know, I'll admit, I was somewhat of a Sam Darnold believer. The first episode of this podcast was after Sam Darnold got traded. And it was my take on that. That was also when I had a co-host. See how long ago that was? Does that put into perspective how different it is now than it was then I had a co-host when Sam Darnold was actually like a quarterback that you could understand starting in this league that's how long ago it was I was still recording on my phone with my earbuds as my main microphone it was a different time People were still wearing masks in in stores. The only reason that Sam Darnold is still like in the conversation for the starting spot is because they gave up a second round pick for him and they don't want to admit that they fucked up. Baker is going to be the starting quarterback. And the starting quarterback is obviously going to take 70% or more of offensive snaps. Therefore, this is going to be a fourth-round pick. 
that is unless Baker Mayfield gets injured. And as a team that had very little leverages in this entire trade, it wasn't really that much of a steal for Carolina as people are making it sound. It really wasn't because in the fourth round, you could get a solid role player. In fact, that's normally what you get with a fourth round pick. And, you know, there's also that potential to get a Max Crosby or just a superstar player in the fourth round. Like, that potential is there. There's a reason that I always say these GMs see these picks as lottery tickets. Even if it's a late pick, there's still a chance that you could get a superstar player. Richard Sherman was a fifth-round pick. George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. Tom Brady was pick 199 of his draft. And I get it. Those are very few examples out of two decades worth of draft classes. But the point is that there's a possibility. And they could have gotten nothing for Baker. Again, he probably would have got cut if this trade didn't happen. So at least they got an opportunity to bring in a superstar player. Or maybe it won't be a superstar. Maybe they'll just get a role player. Still, it's better than just cutting him. And best of all, they don't have to deal with the cap hit. Or not the entire cap hit. So now Jacoby Brissett is basically guaranteed to be their starting quarterback. That is unless somehow Deshaun Watson doesn't get suspended. And people are saying, oh, Brown season out the window. Brown season out the window. They're going to suck. No way that they could compete with Jacoby Brissett. I don't know about that. Now, am I saying they'll be a playoff team? No. But that's only because the AFC is so tough. Listen, if they were in the NFC, and I know I say this a lot, but if they were in the NFC, they'd probably still be a playoff team even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Because Jacoby Brissett isn't bad, okay? Jacoby Brissett won't lose you a game. Now, he won't win one for you. But he manages the game well enough. Listen, when Jacoby Brissett started the full season for the Colts, and he came in after Andrew Luck's surprise retirement, he threw for nearly 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Which, again, that's not amazing. It definitely isn't. I'm not going to act like it is. And I'm not even going to say that he's deserving of a starting spot. But he's one of the better backups. Let's get this straight. Now, the problem is they're competing with the rest of the AFC North. So, you know, if if you're not going to have your starting quarterback for the entire season in the AFC North, yeah, you're probably screwed. But... I wouldn't be surprised with a finish around 500. I wouldn't be surprised if they have a better record than the Steelers. They'll still be a pretty good football team. Even with Jacoby Brissett starting. Like, I just need to set the record straight. Jacoby Brissett isn't, oh, it's Jacoby Brissett starting at quarterback. There's no way they'll beat us. Like, nah. I mean, Nick Chubb is still in the backfield with Kareem Hunt. They still have one of the best offensive lines in football. They still got Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney. They still got a good coach in Kevin Stefanski. Like, 
this is still a legitimate team. Obviously, they'd be better with Deshaun Watson, but, oh, well, that's the situation they're in. And they kind of did it to themselves, in all honesty. Now, I think it's about time we talk about the, I don't want to say more interesting side of the trade, but the side of the trade that, you know, everyone was talking about right after the trade happened. No one was really looking at it from the Browns perspective when it happened, except Browns fans. Everyone was looking at, oh, now, how can the, how will the Panthers do now that they actually have a quarterback? That's how everyone was looking at it, at least initially. Oh, man, I was kind of looking at it the same. You could look at my Twitter, and you'll see that I said something that I take back, but I'll get into that later. But I said, and this was my initial take on the pick. Let me pull up the exact quote. Now, keep in mind, this was very, very soon after the draft happened. I was just trying to get something out there quick in order to, you know. I'm a reporter. I'm going to try and capitalize whenever there's big news. I said, let me find it. I honestly think that this acquisition can allow Matt Rule to keep his job. Wouldn't be too surprised buying around 500 finish from the Panthers now. I do not agree with what I said then. It was more of the adrenaline of that pick happening that kind of made me say that. But now that I had a lot of time to think about the pick or the trade, I take that back. I take back what I said. Matt Rule, maybe he'll keep his job. But I don't think that this team can finish above 500. I really don't. But first, let me go into why my thought process was initially what I just said. Baker? Who would you say was the best receiver that he had on his team in his entire career until today? Probably OBJ. And yeah, OBJ was still good. Like, OBJ on the Browns had a underrated season his first year with the Browns he was still an 1000 yard receiver he was still good he was still pretty damn good he was still really talented although Baker seemed to not really want to throw him the ball he was still a talented wide receiver I would say OBJ even last year was pretty underrated that being said I still think DJ Moore is the best receiver that Baker Mayfield has ever been on the same roster as I do I think DJ Moore Criminally underrated. Criminally underrated. And his talent, it's through the roof. He's been looking good every single season, despite having terrible quarterback play in every year. He's a good receiver. Like, damn good. Like, borderline top 10, maybe top 10 lock type of receiver. Like, he is incredible. And then another weapon for him, I think Christian McCaffrey is the best offensive weapon in the entire NFL when he's healthy. Listen, the Panthers were 4-0 when Christian McCaffrey was healthy. They finished the season with five wins. What does that tell you? Baker Mayfield never had a guy like Christian McCaffrey. Like, Nick Chubb is good, but you can't pass to Nick Chubb like you can Christian McCaffrey. You can't do the things that you do with Christian McCaffrey with Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb is a really good running back. 
Like, yeah. But when Christian McCaffrey is healthy, he is – no one else can replicate what he does. Sam Darnold – remember when everyone was saying that Sam Darnold was, like, super good at the start of the year? Last year, and he was like, oh, now that he's out of New York, he, he looks super good. Well, that was because Christian McCaffrey was there. And then Christian McCaffrey went down, and all of a sudden, Sam Darnold sucked. Same with Joe Brady. Everyone was saying, oh, you know, Joe Brady, this guy from LSU, you know, he's doing a good job with the offense and everything as the offensive coordinator. Then Christian McCaffrey goes down. Joe Brady gets fired. Joe Brady literally built the entire offense around feeding McCaffrey the ball. McCaffrey going down made him look so much worse because he no longer had Chris McCaffrey to make up for his lackluster play design and play calling. It wasn't even necessarily lackluster. It was just what he did with Chris McCaffrey. He couldn't replicate after Chris McCaffrey was gone because he is a one-of-a-kind player when he's healthy. But that's the thing. He doesn't really stay healthy. I'll get into that later. The defense can be really, really good, like top five in the league good. And that's another thing we saw early in the year. The defensive coordinator does a great job with, you know, he kind of designs this defensive scheme where it's like zone coverage. And it's repeatedly all the time zone coverage. But they're still blitz heavy, which, you know, old school NFL fans, like, that's not a common thing. Like, that's not something they used to see a lot. But now, like, the zone blitz has become way more common. And that's something that this Panthers defense loves to do. Loves it. And it worked really well at the start of the year. Then kind of started to get figured out. I was hoping, and I still am hoping, that, you know, this Panthers defense can kind of, like, adjust to what teams started to do take advantage of their kind of, I don't want to say one-dimensional, one-dimensional, but kind of repetitive defense. I'm expecting them to kind of add a little bit more diversity to that defense. And we'll see if they do it. They still can, and that defense still can be really good. And part of that defense being really good is Brian Burns being amazing, like just spectacular freak athlete over here, man. Come on. He's already like top ten edge rusher in the league, and he has the he has like best edge rusher in football potential. Like this is a stud. Brian Burns is a beast that no one talks about. Doesn't get any respect, and I feel like that's only because he's on the Panthers. But and notice I've said so many times, like oh I'll talk about this later. This is why I'm going to talk about all those things I said I'll talk about later. With more time to think about it, I realized that all that stuff that I just said was kind of just optimi- kind of just optimistic thinking. Kinda. I still believe all of the things that I said. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that the negatives outweigh the positives here with this team. I still have no idea what Matt Rule is, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't really know. Like, when he came out of college, I wasn't very sure what to think. And even now, after two seasons of him being the head coach of the Panthers, I still don't really know what to think. And, you know, it's very clear the Panthers are trying to find that out too. And McAdoo should not have an NFL job. He's their offensive coordinator. There is a reason this guy 
was demoted from the head coach to, I'm pretty sure he was out of the league until now. I don't know what made them think that he should get an offensive coordinator job because he was a terrible head coach. And what he did with the offense on the Giants was not good at all. And I said, Christian McCaffrey, oh, look at how great he is. He made Sam Darnold look good. Now imagine how good he can make Baker look. Yeah, well, the problem is Christian McCaffrey can't stay healthy. And that's why it sucks so bad that Joe Brady designed an entire offense around what Christian McCaffrey does. Then McCaffrey went down, and that offense couldn't function anymore. And, you know, as nice as it would be for them to be able to build their entire offense around what McCaffrey can do, because that is an unstoppable offense if they do that. Problem is, then when McCaffrey goes down, you're screwed. So it kind of makes it hard to take advantage of just how good of a weapon McCaffrey is. And of course, well, you're losing your star player. You're losing your star player. Your offense is just going to be worse no, no matter what, no matter how much you schemed around that player. And I think the biggest thing of all, in order for Baker to play like he did in 2020, he needs to have the right situation around him. He doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to have a perfect situation around him. Like, here's the difference, right? You know how I say, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a starting caliber quarterback, not even like a top tier backup, because in order for him to even look all right, he has to have everything be perfect around him. And even then, he'll still screw some stuff up. Well, I don't think Baker needs everything around him to be right. I just think that there's some things that need to be good in order for Baker Mayfield to be good. Baker Mayfield doesn't have, I'm just going to say it, NFL caliber pocket awareness. And because of that, in order for Baker Mayfield to look solid, you're going to need a not just average offensive line. Like, you're going to have to have, like, one of the best offensive line units in the NFL, much like the Browns did. Notice when the Browns didn't have that top-notch offensive line, Baker did not look very good. Then they brought in the right guys, and then that offensive line was incredible. And then Baker himself became incredible. Not necessarily incredible, but very good. You get my point. The Panthers don't have that. The Panthers don't. The Panthers' offensive line last year was one of the worst in football. And yet improved. They added Ikea Kwanu, who I really like. I think he was the second best player in the draft. But one tackle isn't going to fix everything. I get they made moves in order to fix it, but I, I can't say it's going to go from one of the worst in the league to the level that the Browns' offensive line was. And because of that, I can't expect Baker to have the season that I know he's capable of. I think he's going to look below average when he is an above-average quarterback. And that's because in order for you to bring out the best of Baker, you need to have one of the best offensive lines in football. And the Panthers don't, and they will not, or most likely won't. Now, yeah, yeah, there's positives about this team, and those positives are what made me say that they might be able to finish around 500 and Matt Rule will keep his job. But the more I think about it, the more I notice, ah, uh, yeah, no, maybe they're not that good. Because although the, there are some positives – surrounding this team that no one really talks about, but the negatives that everyone already knows about, like, they hurt a lot. A lot. 
So, overall, the Panthers, they're a team that, at least for Matt Rule's sake, is going to need to compete. And they're going to try to compete. That's why they brought in Baker. But at the same time, their lack of an offensive line, even after drafting Aquanu, is going to be what kills them. And, you know, hiring the wrong guy at offensive coordinator also kills them. And we also don't know if Matt Rule is a good enough coach to make up for those issues that we mentioned. Now, the defense, I think, has a high ceiling. Can it Can it play up to that? I don't know. But we'll see. I'm going to go on a short break. When I return, I'm going to go over my breakout players in each position. I hope you're enjoying so far, and I'll see you after this short break. And we are back. You're listening to the Line Podcast. I hope that you're enjoying so far. I'm going to now go over my breakout players in each position. Now, I'm not doing rookies because I don't think that it really counts as a breakout when a rookie just plays well right out of the gate. To me, that's not a breakout. That's just a really damn good start to a career that will probably continue to be really damn good. So all these players are entering at least their second year. None of these guys are overly old because, let's be honest, unless your name's Cordero Patterson, you're not breaking out when you're above the age of 30. So I'm just going to jump right into it. My quarterback is Jalen Hurts, who I think Jalen Hurts, like he's he's electric. This is a very, very good player, a player that I used to not be high on. I was not high on Jalen Hurts at all initially. I used to refer to him as a glorified Marcus Mariota. And looking back at his college tape, I still understand why I say that. Why I was saying that, at least. Because this was a quarterback that would not beat you with his arm. He could throw the ball all right, but like he would not beat you with his arm. He was inaccurate, wildly inaccurate. He was a good runner, but that was really about it. Right? You know, he played well in college, but that was, that was really the peak of his career. He wasn't going to be great in the NFL. That was my take on him. And then he plays in the NFL, and I see, like, damn, he looks way more accurate all of a sudden. And then this year specifically, I noticed, damn, he's not inaccurate. His accuracy is now actually like a strength for him. So now you got one of the best running quarterbacks in the league behind the best offensive line in football with a great scheme. You know, Nick Sariani does a great job designing that offense perfectly for him. Jalen Hurts is going to have a really good season. The Eagles themselves are going to be a really good team. And, you know, the main reason that Jalen Hurts specifically is going to have such a breakout year, and not just improve himself, but because the situation around him is better, A.J. Brown being there and now Devonta Smith being the wide receiver two, and then Quez Watkins being the wide receiver three, this receiver core is ridiculous. A.J. Brown is a top ten receiver. Devonta Smith is amazing in his own right. And Quez Watkins is a damn good wide receiver threat. And I think the Eagles overall are just going to be so successful on both offense and defense. And part of the reason that offense is going to be so good is because they're going to have the best rushing attack in football. They're going to be the best running team in the entire NFL. And I have a very simple reason for this. So last year, the Colts were a extremely dominant team running the ball. Very good. But the reason for that was because they had 
the best offensive line of the league, or at least one of them. You know, they lost Mark Lewinsky, but still, very good unit. It's not going to be as good as it was last year, but it was still really, really good when they had Mark Lewinsky. You know, of course, Quentin Nelson. That offensive line was tremendous, and that's why Jonathan Taylor was able to ball out, and they were probably the best running team in football. I don't really think that there's a debate for anything else, except later in the year when it was the Eagles. But for the majority of the year, the Colts were the best running team in football. And it was because of their offensive line. Then the Eagles took over, and I'm expecting it to only be better this year. But let me tell you why they're going to be the best running team in football and why they were the best running team in the NFL last year. Because they had that top-notch offensive line that the Colts had, and then they had the amazing designed run plays that the Ravens have, taking advantage of the quarterback mobility. So now you have the advantage of your quarterback being able to run the ball while having the offensive line that made the Colts running offense so electric. That's the big difference, and the scheme is great. And then they're also going to be able to throw the ball on top of that. They're going to be the best running team in the entire NFL and then also be really good at throwing the ball because A.J. Brown's there and Avonta Smith's there and Quest Watkins is there. And now Jalen Hurts is a quarterback that can dice you up with his arm on top of his amazing running ability. So now for my breakout wide receiver, a receiver that I almost didn't include because it's just so obvious and everyone is saying him, but I'm not going to be artificial and, you know, try and fake someone actually being a more likely to break out receiver than this guy. It's got to be Rashad Bateman. For breakout wide receiver. It's got to be. This was the guy who I had as the wide receiver one of a draft class. And, yeah, you know, I was wrong about that. It's definitely going to be Jamar Chase or most likely going to be Jamar Chase. But still, Rashad Bateman is a really, really good receiver. He can beat you in every facet of being an NFL receiver. He's an amazing route runner. He has a huge catch radius. He's really physical at the catch point where, you know, he'll, he'll moss most defenders. Like, he will. He's fast. His route tree is huge, and every route on that route tree, he runs to near perfection. His hands, you know, he's extremely reliable when you're throwing him the ball. And, you know, his stats weren't amazing last year, but now that he's the wide receiver one on his team, and now that hopefully he won't get injured early in the year, Bateman is going to be a name to watch. Bateman is going to ball out. Running back. I almost put Joe Mixon here because the offensive line is so much better, but I got to put David Montgomery. The main reason being he's going to be fed the ball an absurd amount. The Bears have no one to give the ball to on their offense except David Montgomery. Does that offensive line still suck? Yes. But... I mean, they could throw it to Darnell Mooney. He's good. That's about it. Cole Komet has always been the most, like, average tight end I've ever seen. And then the rest of that offense is absolute nobodies. Justin Fields is going to run the ball a lot. But I think the better runner of the football is obviously going to be their running back, David Montgomery, who has a lot of talent. He hasn't really been playing up to the level I was expecting him to coming out of college. 
not that he's been necessarily disappointing. I kind of just set up a high bar for him. And I think now that he's going to be getting a huge amount of the carries and a huge amount of the, you know, offensive load now that their passing game is this week, it's very safe to assume this guy is going to ball out and finally play up to the level I was expecting. And even if they're not, you know, extremely efficient numbers, maybe he won't have the most yards per carry, but he's going to have some ridiculous numbers in terms of total yardage because he's just going to be getting the ball the most. Tight end, this is a guy who's got a huge, huge paycheck this year. And a lot of people are saying that wasn't really deserved, and I kind of agree. But at the same time, you know, when you pay a receiver that much, or sorry, pay a tight end that much, you're going to give him the ball a lot, especially when the wide receiver one on your offense is the husk of of Amari Cooper. David Njoku is going to have a really, really nice season. Really nice. Even if Jacoby Brissett is throwing the ball, it's going to be a damn good season for Njoku. You know, coming out of college, he was drafted pretty high for a tight end. Never really played up to that level. They eventually replaced him with Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper is gone now. David Njoku is going to be their main tight end, obviously, or at least he better be after you pay him that much. And, yeah, again, I just think in terms of throwing the ball, the Browns don't really have many people to give the ball to. Njoku's getting paid so much, I think they're kind of going to force feed him the ball, scheme up a lot of ways for him to get open, and he's going to become, like, the main threat of that passing offense because I don't really like Amari Cooper that much. I think he was really disappointing last year. Oh, honestly, yeah, he used to be pretty good, but I think his time has passed. I guess I like Donovan Peoples-Jones like a little bit, but Najoku is the name that kind of pops out on that offense, and I'm like, damn, he's going to get the ball a lot. Of course, it's going to be a run-first offense, but I think in terms of receivers, Najoku probably going to be their guy. So, offensive guard, I'm going with Elijah Vera Tucker. Second year in the NFL, this was a guy I, along with many other people, were very high on coming out of college. He wasn't bad last year. He just wasn't overly great. I think this year he's not looked at as like the, oh, my God, we need him to be good for our offensive line to be good. So I feel like there's less pressure on him. You know, he was a rookie last year, and he was still probably their best offensive lineman. Now they brought in Lake and Tomlinson, so you know, Now, at least in front of the media, he doesn't seem like, you know, the guy for their offensive line. Now he can finally, like, settle down into, like, kind of a side role, which I think is good for him as a young player in his second year. And he's still a very talented player. He wasn't bad last year. I'm just expecting him to become, like, one of the top-notch guys. And I think he has the talent to do that. That's why I'm saying it. Offensive tackle, Joseph Noteblum. He was right on the bench behind a, in my opinion, Hall of Fame offensive tackle in Andrew Whitworth. He got paid a shit ton, and I think the only reason you would pay a player that much when they haven't really played much is because you believe in them. And personally, I agree with whatever Sean McVay says. If Sean McVay says that this guy is worth the huge contract he got for a player that didn't really play many snaps, he's probably that good. Is this pick mainly based off blind hope that Sean McVay was right in his judgment on a tackle that he's paying a lot of money because his starting left tackle got, you know, retired because he was like 40 years old. Yeah, that is very true. But still, I mean, can you blame me? 
Sean McVay is a great head coach. I haven't seen many Joseph Noteplume snaps, but when I see him on the field, he's pretty damn good. I talked to, on the last episode, I kind of talked about Joseph Noteplume, and he was high on him too, and, you know, I'm kind of with my boy. <laughs> he's a friend of the show. I trust him here. He's watched more film on the guy than I have. I watched a little bit, not much, but still, I've seen enough to be like, okay, I like this guy, and they're willing to pay him that much. He sat behind one of the smartest offensive tackles in the game, or he's not in the game anymore, but he was in the game last year. I like Noplu. Defensive tackle. Kristen Barmore on the Patriots. When he was on the field last year, he dominated. He stuffed so many run plays, but he wasn't on the field much. Now he's going to be on the field a lot more, and I think Kristen Barmore is going to be like one of the guys on the Belichick defense that are just like, great role player and listen if there's anyone that makes role players look like amazing players it's Belichick he's gonna do that here Barmore will not get many pressures on the quarterback but if you're running halfback dive on a fourth and one he's gonna stuff it that's his job and he's really good at it now that he's gonna be on the field more he's gonna show more people that he's really good at it defensive end Another second-year defensive lineman, Gregory Rousseau. And, you know, Gregory Rousseau, I thought he was the best end or edge in a draft class that was really weak at the edge position. And I don't think he was overly impressive in college either. I don't think he was overly impressive last year. But he has Von Miller on the other side of him. I think that that's going to cause a lot of offensive attention to be towards the other side of the line. And then that's going to allow Rousseau to kind of get cleanup sacks, kind of like Bud Dupree did in his last year with the Steelers. I think he's going to play like a very similar role. And as a second-year player, that's a big jump. And he's going to – it wouldn't surprise me if this guy finishes with around like 14 sacks, 13 sacks, 12 sacks. And I think a lot of them are just going to be cleaning up Von Miller's leftovers, and there's nothing wrong with that as a second-year player. I don't hate Rousseau as a – player in case I'm I know I started this by saying he was the best in a weak edge draft class he was one of the few that I actually thought were like worth drafting in the first round so like I'm sorry if I kind of made it seem like I don't like him much I mean I guess I did just say he'll have 12 to 14 sacks next year so maybe you don't think I hate him but let me just clarify they won't all really be clean up sacks on Von Miller like he can create for himself but now that Teams won't really have the choice to double-team him. I think he's really going to, well, in case I didn't make it clear with the 12 to 14 sack part, I think he's going to dominate. But, yeah, I do still stand by what I said. He was in a weak edge draft class, and he really stood out because of that. But still, I think that he was good enough in college. He has the physical attributes, and I think a guy like Von Miller on the other side will really help him. Linebacker, another second-year player. I did not know that I did that. Uh, but Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. This is someone that teams, especially like defensive teams, look at, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is a unique guy. This guy can literally have his own position. I've said this a couple of times before on the podcast, but I kind of refer to JOK on his own position. He's what I would just call a Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa type of linebacker. He literally gets his own position named after him on the Goal Line podcast because you 
have him out there just to go against your Travis Kelseys, your George Kittles, your Darren Wallers. That's why he's out there. And he's good at the other stuff, too. And I think this year he's going to show more of his ability to be good at the other stuff. He's already great at, you know, playing against the top tier, you know, pass catching tight ends. But I think now he's going to show off his ability to do the other stuff, too. He's a very good corner, or sorry, I almost called him a corner. That's how athletic he is. He's a very good linebacker for the modern NFL, and I think now he's going to show his ability to also, you know, get in there and, you know, get dirty and do some of the tough, gritty stuff you normally want out of a traditional off-ball linebacker. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa has already showed he could do the unique stuff. He could do his special stuff of, oh, I'll lock down that very good pass-catching tight end. But now I want to see him, you know, kind of do the rest of the stuff that I know he can do. And I'm expect- I'm expecting him to do it. That's why I have him on this list. Cornerback, Jalen Mills. Very simple reasoning here. Patriots lost their cornerback one in J.C. Jackson. And Bill Belichick is the Patriots head coach. Which means whatever cornerback is going to start next year for the Patriots is still going to be really good. Even though you probably wouldn't, you know, care about him at all if he wasn't on the Patriots. But because he is, he's going to look really good. I know that's just blind faith in Belichick. And I'm sorry that it's kind of like basic reasoning and kind of stupid reasoning. But real NFL fans understand Belichick is not allowed to have a bad cornerback one. It just doesn't happen. Jalen Mills, as of right now, is their cornerback one, which means he's going to ball out for no reason whatsoever. And when I say no reason, I mean Belichick is going to teach him his, you know, witchcraft spells that just magically allow him to become the best corner on the field every game day. Don't ask me. I don't make the rules. That's just what Belichick does. I've just watched it happen. I've just watched it happen. That's why I'm saying that it's going to happen again. I know it's like kind of boring and stupid reasoning, but it's just like the truth. It's just what happens, you know? And I, again, like I've watched film on Jalen Mills. Like I'm, I'm not just writing these players. I'm not just looking up, oh, Patriots death chart. And then just inserting them to the list because, oh, it's the Patriots cornerback one. Although I'm kind of made it sound like that. I've watched him and what he did on the Eagles. Like he was a good player. Would I expect him to become one of the best cornerbacks in football if it weren't for him being on the Patriots? No. But because he's on the Patriots, I am expecting him to become one of the best cornerbacks in football. Like, that is an actual factor here. I'm not going to act like, oh, I, I've watched film and I found, his, you know, his technique and what he does is perfect. And he could become, you know, the best cornerback in the league because of if he just changes this and this and this. No, that's what Belichick is going to do. And that's what's going to make him the best cornerback in football or one of them. Like, I wish I was joking here. That's just what happens. And, I've again, I watched his film. You know, I, I see some potential there. He's fast and, you know. He's an athlete, rangy guy. He kind of played like a safety cornerback hybrid a little bit. Uh, and I wonder if the Patriots are going to utilize that. But yeah, Jalen Mills, get ready for him to instantly replace J.C. Jackson. 
Safety, Juan Thornhill. Here's a guy who's kind of just like not been on the film, and I don't know why. Or, sorry, he hasn't really been on the field, and I don't know why, like, at all. Because when he's on the field, he's clearly better than Daniel Sorensen. I don't know why Daniel Sorensen was taking a single snap when Juan Thornhill was just on the bench. It doesn't make sense. Juan Thornhill is leagues better than Daniel Sorensen. Juan Thornhill with Tyron Matthew gone, people are saying, oh, you know, Justin Reed, he's their guy. He could do the same stuff for Matthew can. And I agree. They could use Justin Reed the way that they use Tyron Matthew because, again, they're very similar players. But at the same time, they don't need to because they have Juan Thornhill who can do the same stuff. And this is a – you want to talk about a rangy safety? This guy is rangy. I mean, come on. He's able to cover so much ground at the safety position. It is absurd. He makes it a lot harder to throw the ball deep, and I think him and Justin Reed are going to emerge as one of the best safety duos in the league, and I think it's going to be part of the reason that this Chiefs team is the best team in football, and I've said that multiple times now. On my power rankings, they were number one, and I still stand by it, and I think it's going to be because, because you know maybe their offense is going to be a little bit worse after losing Tyreek Hill, but their defense is so much better, and people like Juan Thornhill – breaking out are going to be the reason why anyway thank you for listening again if you want more content check out no huddle nfl on tiktok or instagram that is no huddle nfl with no capitals and no spaces i've hoped you i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you show up next week see ya